Hello everybody, welcome to the Beyond Autism podcast series. Uh, we felt this was our chance to talk about our research-inspired case studies of socially significant outcomes. So our first series is going to be um, based on an organisational priority on developing just enough support to give more independence for our learners, uh, crucially through an ABA underpinning and multidisciplinary working. So today we're going to be talking about how we work with children, or particular boy in this case, on moving to sort of less intensive settings. So you guys should know that the Beyond Autism schools are based on ABA and verbal behaviour, and that they tend to be one-to-one -one provision. Um, and so in the context of what we're talking about today, we're talking about how one of our learners was able to move from that setting into uh, a more usual or more readily available, less specialist um, special school with less staffing. So with us today, we have Michelle Frangos, who's a qualified teacher, who is part of this team, uh, and also Liz Burns, who's an ABA supervisor, uh, and kind of led the idea around how this was panned out and mapped and, and worked from sort of beginning to end. So welcome, both of you. The, um, the first thing we're going to do, I think, is, is we, need some, we need some context. So if I could just ask you first, Michelle, obviously you've worked across different settings, um, and what the types of things that you needed to consider when, as part of this team when we were working with the, this boy around moving from a one-to-one -one provision with highly specialised staff into where we ended up? Um, so we have to think about that there will be less one-to-one uh, -one support, so may maybe working in more of a, a group situation, less reinforcement being available all the time for him, and working, working more independently, um, being able to be able to voice if he's not sure about certain things, asking for help, um, not getting lost in tasks by not being able to voice um, that he, he needs some support. Also transitioning places by more readily on his own rather than having someone always there to guide him and take him to places. Yeah, working for longer periods of time on his own, completing tasks more independently, so not so much prompt heavy, waiting for someone to say if it's correct or not, having to having a go at doing things on his own, lots of problem solving, uh, working also in large in groups, working with peers, different peers. Um, so there might be 10 people in a class and you work with, with all of them at different points of the day. They might be in an English group, you work with these pupils and then in a math group, you might work with those pupils. You may have one adult to work with five pupils, a teacher to oversee that. So is it fair to say then what we're talking about really is a, is a change, is like obviously a change of environment, but within that environment you're going to be in situations where different behaviours are going to be selected by that environment because you've got different reinforcement schedules, you've got group contingencies and you have different motivating operations. Okay, amazing, thank you. So thanks for that piece of context in planning for an eventual outcome that we didn't know was going to work yet, but we knew it was appropriate. So just before I bring you in, Liz, I just wanted to point out that obviously we're working on research-inspired case studies. And for the benefit of the listener, the type of um, or the, the articles that were referenced, although not necessarily all to the same weight, and we'll come to that later, but we were looking at um, Fox, Dunlop and Crushing from 2002, the Early Intervention Positive Behaviour Support and Transition to School article, um, and that was in the Journal of Emotional Behaviour Disorders. The Freeman uh, 2016, Traditioning Children with Autism from One-to-One -one Discrete Trial Settings to Specialist Education Classrooms, and that was online, actually was a dissertation. Kegel and Kegel around extended reduction in stereotype behaviour of students with autism through self-management treatment package, which was from the Journal of Applied Behaviour Analysis. Um, Kuipers, um, this, this was one of the more kind of the things that we'll talk about later about how this inspired you but ended up becoming more behavioural because it had to be around zones of, re zones of regulation from 2013. And then of course we've got the idea around how did we know that the child was ready and you've got the Sunberg VB map from uh, 2008. Now, having said that, <laughs> hopefully that wasn't too quick for everybody. And of course, on the website, you'll be able to see a list of the references. Um, if we could just ask you then, Liz, to talk about, just on an executive level, what the study was setting out to achieve. So what were you trying to achieve? And we, we know the context now a little bit more. Um, and then 
what in that list of uh, studies and research and so forth was the things that started to inspire you? So basically, the boy um, that we were working with, was it was becoming more and more apparent that the setting was less appropriate for him that we had um, in terms of academic and peer group like he was uh, accessing the highest level of academics that we had at the school um, he was having to do a lot of more um, work outside the class with his one-to-one tutor rather than accessing the group because there wasn't peers that he could access it with um, in terms of his language and social development there wasn't a peer within his age group at that school at the same level um, so when the school split and they were on different sites, the peers that he did have were no longer with him and they were also five, six years older than him. Um, so he wasn't playing the playground, running around on scooters and those sorts of things because most of the peers in his class were just not interested. So it was becoming more and more apparent that it just wasn't the right placement for him. However, he did have a lot of barriers still um, behaviourally in terms of accessing a high level of tangible reinforcement um, because as soon as the tangible reinforcement was reduced, his um, MO for the sensory behaviours went up. So as soon as you, that, that would lower, the sensory behaviours would increase. So they were being highly managed by the staff that he worked with. They were delivering the tokens. Um, they were delivering tokens for walking past preferred items that were sensory. Um, they were the ones checking in and saying, OK, don't walk past that, walk back, don't turn the light on, do this, constant, on a constant basis. So what sort of schedule did that look like? So he was currently, um, he had 20 tokens on his board, and that was on um, a VR schedule, so he wasn't always working for 20 tokens. Um, the uh, tutor would decide how many that he was working for. Sometimes he would too. Um, that was another reason why we knew he was ready. When tasks were harder, he would regularly ask for less tokens. Um, and when tasks were um, easier, he would work for more. So That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So he, he would work, he liked numbers. He, he liked talking about numbers. He liked playing around with numbers. So um, he would uh, work for more. He'd ask for more time for harder activities and he'd ask for less time. But that, so as you say, like that really is, shows you a, a real sense and understanding conceptually yeah of the task from a from a teacher point of view when you're assessing on more usual curriculum based measures measures when we were still allowed to talk about p scales Mm. you know there was this old idea of you get to pull p six seven and then all of a sudden you've got to get conceptual understanding yeah and how how difficult that is yeah definitely and then being able to to sort of manage that as well would be great for him to be able to say oh, this is actually really hard, and then you can have the cues to say, okay, I need to ask for, for help, but he's able to assess what is hard and what is easy and what he's kind of good at and what he's not good at, which is, yeah. which is a real skill. Yeah. But yeah, so he was, he was getting that, but he needed us to tell him that. So he, was, he needed us to keep a check on, on him, and um, basically we just labelled a lot of appropriate behaviours as we were walking around the school. Um, but for him, the reinforcement was never us. It was the ticks. It was the numbers. It was the computer. Like me giving him a high five was not was not reinforcing. Ultimately, was not reinforcement. Reinforcing the thing that was reinforcing was the terminal reinforcer. Um, but at this point, this is still occurring roughly every fifteen minutes. Okay. So it's quite an intense high level of reinforcement. So a bit more of a picture, so we understand yeah. what we're trying to aim for. Yeah. We understand on you know on just a colloquial level that we're we're seeing a child that's who's who's learning and his attainment is uh, going up as well and his progress is rapid. And from what you're saying, mm-hmm. sounds like there was a, a a very carefully thought out based on his MOs because interestingly you're seeing it's almost the reverse you would think you would give less tokens for easier tasks actually but from from his own sort of self-management behavior he's thinking okay this is quite a big task i'm going to need more time yeah interesting brilliant so we're just going to pause there for just a second uh as we kind of look for our um are ways of understanding that you guys are actually listening to the podcast. 
So we're going to take our inspiration, seeing as that's a theme from us from ABA Inside Track, and we're going to go for two key words across the the span of this episode. Um, so we're going to turn to Liz for our first key word. And what's the first word that comes to your head? Giraffe. So the first key word, everybody, is giraffe. The last thing we talked about from the case study point of view was how we understood the context where we're heading, we understood the different MOs that we had to understand from a person-centered point of view. Now let's turn to the references and the research. So what, of the list that we talked about earlier, and it's available on the website, what were the things that really hooked you in terms of how you were going to support this young man from where he was to where he was heading? Um, so it's probably two. Um, so the initial one would be um, the Freeman 2016 dissertation, the transition in children with autism from one-on-one, um, because it actually broke down, um, which there's not a lot of research on that, what you need to be planning for before you transition them. So it was how I was going to frame his whole IEP. What skills were we actually going to be working on? Um, and obviously we, we know it is as Michelle will know from her groups, the academic tasks he has. So I didn't need to be, you know, expanding his intraverbals. I didn't need to be expanding his measurement skills. I needed to be, can he walk from A to B without, um, you know, needing four ticks on his token board along the way? Um, how are we going to get there? You know, does he know, does he know when he's behaving appropriately? Does he know when he's not behaving appropriately? Does he understand um, that he should be doing those behaviours and understand that he shouldn't be doing X, Y, Z? Is that the content of that? So in this paper, it talks about um, selecting specific behaviours that are appropriate for your next school setting. Um, so it also talks about viewing the next the, the school that you're going to and what is socially significant and what is appropriate at the next school setting yeah. and then bringing that into his I, IEP. So I did have to go and see that setting and from there I knew there was three to 48 so he needed to be doing independent work which he currently didn't do a lot of. <laughs> so it was how is he prepared to do that? Can he sit by himself for X amount of time and are we going to build that up? Um, and how we're going to build that up? They point blank said to me he could not access a computer at school. <laughs> He currently accesses a computer every 15 minutes. That needed to go. And the uh, the other paper, which uh, the Fox um, uh, the Fox and Dunlap and Crucialing paper 2002, they stated one of the main reasons for pair placements failing was because of um, the challenging behaviour or the stereotypy um, of the students that come into their school so there's no point in me sending him to this school with all these skills that we've taught him if he's going to be sent straight back to us because he can't walk along a corridor so that was the main frame of that and just thinking about my thinking of that IEP and then the uh, the Kurgle uh, paper um, is just to, talking about um, how you can reduce stereotypic behaviour um, by them tracking their own reinforcement, which is what we'll go on to in a minute. So that's how actually behaviourally I did it. But the other two was more about the way of thinking about how you're going to set your top targets and your goals for these students. Okay. And then in terms of the, the zones of regulation, mm-hmm. there's um, this would kind of speak again to our multidisciplinary working. Mm-hmm. So, you know, teachers would be familiar with that within special schools. Yeah. You'd have... Uh, an OT focus to a certain degree and, and, and clearly the speech and language therapy aspect which people can see if they uh, look into that a little bit more mm-hmm. so it's not based behaviourally what about that kind of in brief because I suspect you'll talk about it a bit later as mm-hmm. well like what about that was interesting to you and then how did that how did you make the transition from something that's tricky to, to, to make behavioural or reinforce like specific behaviours what about that was the inspiration for you? Like, how did you segue towards a more behavioural, measurable component? Um, so initially, um, the zones is also when you're looking at um, like next location, it is widely rolled out in a lot of schools uh, right. here. So it was in his next location. Right. So it seemed appropriate that he would understand a little bit more. And he was initially starting 
to do zones of regulation group with his speech and language therapist and his occupational therapist. That was starting. So we had this concept of there are four colours, there are four emotions. Uh, part of his behaviour plan was the, the more um, you uh, pay attention or, or look um, at his behaviour, the behaviour would increase. So it was reinforced um, by the attention that you would give it. So I didn't want to discuss blue and red behaviours in terms of zones. Uh, but he did have this section of like sensory reinforcement. Uh, sensory reinforcement is valuable behaviours that he were we were keeping in check for him. Um, so I needed something to label these behaviours, but there are a huge amount of these behaviours. And although he is very clever and he is very academic, his language and understanding his language is quite um, still, you know, he is still in a, a special uh, needs provision. Like there's a reason it's his language that is um, the problem and his understanding. So it's three key words. So I'm not going to be able to explain every single tiny behaviour that he does and the reason he doesn't need to. So I needed to map them onto one concept to teach a broad concept to him. So um, we chose the colours because he already knew what the colours meant. And he knew that green was calm, he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, and he knew that yellow meant silly, worried, scared, and those sorts of behaviours. And these behaviours, if you were to look at them, you would describe as silly, <laughs> silly looking behaviours. So it fitted right in with the context in which he was doing it. Sure. Um, translatable, right? Yes, translatable to yeah. him. Right. Um, and yeah, it was a scheme that he would understand without having to use all the additional language. We could just categorise behaviours as yellow or green. Amazing. Okay. Thanks for that. So then that kind of take us into, um, well, I guess we've kind of had a short talk through kind of the introduction of it, but is there anything you want to add on that? Because we've, we've got, you know, uh, a learner that's showing lots of skills in terms of his, he's able to generalise really well. Mm -hmm. He's generalising across environments, across people, across stimuli, yeah. to the extent where he's moving into this idea of being able to be kind of taught more loosely um access reinforcement schedules that are self-selected yeah um he's learning really quite abstract concepts or he's attributing behavior to to color tax which he knew would be um important for him i guess anyway given that he was in that sort of space of exploring the kind of the functions of language more but mm -hmm. then certainly because he's going into a school mm -hmm. um from a from a teacher point of view if you're receiving a child through their paperwork and you see that they're, they're already doing something that you know your school supports how useful is that it's, it's really useful it's it's great to see and then it just it supports the learner so much i mean ideally we we'd want to have as much um similarity as possible but in, in some cases that's not always the case but if that is with having the same language that would and the same resources that that would really help the learner coming into an environment that's already going to be so different so, um, from your point of view, Michelle, what is it that you you want to say? Like, what, what, where are you in terms of your inspiration? Like revisiting this case for this young man around. What would you say was the be the uh, the real impact this has had for him, for his family, or, or even the next setting he's in? Uh, I think it's really, really exciting. I think it's um, broaden broaden his ability to learn and learn with his peers and social interactions, peer interaction, um, and then also a more in-depth curriculum for him and and then therefore his family and the, the wider opportunities that might de develop. He may go on to doing qualifications, which then may go on to further provisions and opportunities will, will be widened for him. And it's just it's just great to see that there are other provisions out there and then if we work closely with them that we can make a successful transition into lesser support provisions and so that, go, that goes to show you about how important that teaching these cusp behaviors are mm -hmm. so you know moving from you know um getting into that phase of self-management behavior based on rule governed behaviors is super important because you then have somebody who can do exactly that you the horizons are now broader because more reinforcers are available and more environments are sort of accessible because of it okay so now we've got all the uh background to this 
we've had a really nice, really nice summary from you, Liz, and on the research that inspired you. I think now it's time to talk about a methodology. So um, tell us how you did it. Um, so we split the study into um, two phases. Um, so the first stage before we were expecting him to manage any of his own behaviours was to teach him what behaviours he needed to be looking at um, and uh, what behaviour is and what he does and, and what it needs, basically. This bit I really like. How did you do that? So um, we, we matched it to the zones of regulation that he'd been starting to talk about. So they were starting to talk about emotions and um, how you might feel in these emotions. And they were talking about in more um, OT and language sort of sense. Uh, but we just wanted to break it right down to, you see this, this is yellow. You see this, this is green. Um, so we use video modeling um, of his appropriate, um, his green behaviors and video modeling of his yellow behaviors. So we spent a day just following. <laughs> following him around the school, um, particularly on transitions, as we've mentioned before, those were a particular barrier for him um, walking around school. Um, and, and then also, um, say, uh, in his uh, lessons or groups, he would regularly um, uh, bang tables really loudly. Um, or if he was with a pencil, he would slam the pencil down really hard. So it was like videoing those sorts of behaviours and um, putting them into a yellow category or green category and we just did as many examples as possible um of these so that he could generalize across um all types of behaviors so generally there was calm and appropriate behaviors and sometimes in the videos as well he might have been receiving a token in the background of a teacher so there's that sort of um association going on these are appropriate or well done or a high five just because that would have been happening as we filmed him so there's that going on in the video and then the yellow is obviously the walking. So did you find then that you had to, from in terms of the staff that were supporting him in, mm-hmm. in, in school when he was in the one-to-one setting, yeah. um, did you find that you also had to operationally define this or did, you, did the video solve that problem for you? So the behaviours you're talking about being a yellow or green, did you have to spend time doing what we normally do, like, you know, examples, non-examples, so that people could take data and eventually kind of pass that towards his control? Or did you find that the video modelling itself was sufficient for people to understand what they were observing? Um, the video modelling initially, um, although um, the student could generalise quite well, the staff were not as great at generalising right. to, uh, to other novel behaviours. Um, and I think it's um, more a case of these uh, small behaviours, which we were targeting um, as yellow, um, they were often precursor behaviours. So it was more about keeping on top of those as well, so that behaviours didn't escalate to, um, for example, to flipping tables um, or to um, pulling fire alarms, etc. That uh, Those were the more... Um, severe side of the problem behaviours that he would engage in um, so sometimes they didn't see a problem with um, hitting a pen hard on a desk but that might then lead to throwing the pencil or running. But right, so you're trying to intervene early so that you don't end yeah, up so, having to be more intrusive. Yes exactly um, uh, because the uh, understandably the more intrusive we became the more escalated he would become. So. So, so then how did you solve that problem? How did you get staff to recognise I wrote a list of behaviours for staff. So I operationally defined behaviours for staff and any time they saw something new, um, they said they it was more, they would write down any behaviours that were new or different every day. So I got them to write down okay. new and different behaviours and they added <laughs> So the contingency was escaping your wrath or was it? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, pro- it, what it was great for, um, in terms of the child that they were working with in this instance, is how ready they all knew he was to leave. And I kept putting the importance of this is not about, um, you know, oh, him now, it's about him leaving and this wouldn't be acceptable where he's going. Um, and always just bringing it back and they would see if they let one, two or three things go, how it would quickly escalate. So would, they would have that, they had their own learning history very quick. Um, with the point that we're talking about, he can shape his tutor's behaviour very easily. <laughs> Sounds like guilt and wrath were your main strategies. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> no, so, uh, so that's interesting then. So you were able to use kind of the, from a behavioural point of view, it sounds really calculated, but you essentially 
letting them have additional context. So yeah. we need to understand that it's not just about now. No. It's also about the future. Yeah. And so from a from a rule government behaviour, I guess from from for yeah. staff's point of view, yeah. their context and their reinforcer was knowing that they they were contributing to the the bigger picture. Yeah, and um, definitely, definitely, I think because of the way that we have like set up um, within uh, the groups, that there's always a spare body on hand, and it was getting that there isn't going to be a spare body. There's going to even be less um, bodies around um, for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty brilliant phrase. Uh, so they just uh, needed uh, to learn, and I think, um, like like I said, he he does shape our behaviour as well quite quite well. As if if you um, follow through, because he understands the contingency probably better than we do. He understands I do X, um, you know, and my reinforcement is coming. My tick is coming. My terminal reinforcer is there, but without if you miss that. Then, then he knows that you've missed it. Right. So you're in this. Just as a, just an aside here, you're yeah. in this kind of consistent contingency yeah. map where yes. you're thinking, well, maybe there's outside observer watching staff with him mm-hmm. or watching the progress of his kind of <clears throat> yeah. curriculum and so forth. Is um, oh wow, like if, if the staff miss something, that's almost like an an SD for the this young man to go. Okay, so now. My 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 reinforcement is flowing this yes. way, so yeah. I, I, my behaviour then starts to happen over here. Yeah. Whereas, and then if he sees the staff reacts in the right way, it's really interesting to me about how the the level of uh, optimism for this guy's f- future. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were to write this all down somewhere and go, okay, he, this is what we're dealing with. Uh, this is the level of intensity. Like to even even conceive of this idea or perceive of this idea that this young man could then go to a less intensive provision eventually, mm-hmm. it is quite something. Okay, I took us off track there yeah. talking about guilt and wrath and all that. <laughs> hell, hell, fire and brimstone. So you uh, you operation defined the behaviours for the yes. for the staff. Mm-hmm. You began to help him understand what those behaviours looked like through video modelling. Yes. So he um, would watch videos. Um, he typically um, is, uh, well, a fluent learner. So you model a an, an action once or the response, the correct response once, and he will pick this up and generalise it across. Um, so we showed him uh, one video of green, uh, followed by another video of green, and we did teach it in a typical conditional discrimination fashion. We only had the green and the yellow. So then when it went on to yellow, um, we we had the, sorry, I missed a step. We had the green and yellow cards in front of him on the table at all times so he could see them. So all he had to do was match which colour was re- representative to which video. So he would say green and we would give him a click on a clicker, which I'll come back to. So he would uh, press, um, uh, he would say, he would look at this, he'd say green and click. Then the next video would come on, it might be a green one again, he'd say green, click, and we would be like, yeah, that's great. Then the next one would come on, and it might. this time it was a yellow. So he'd hit green again, obviously, because that's the last thing that's been reinforced, um, and we would not give a response. So then he'd move independently to yellow, and then we'd be like, yeah, that's it, well done. And then we'd say, uh, and then we would give him a tick on his token board, which is separate, because we want to associate the click with the green, not the click with the yellow. Um, So we then did a practice session. So we went from modelling to in vivo. So we then said, could you walk um, to the bin? Could you put this in the bin or could you put this on the table? Um, uh, Showing us green. And then he would walk really appropriately to the bin, walk back and sit down. So that would mean walking to the bin without attempting to turn on a light, without... um, without banging the table, without running to the bin. He would just walk, put something in the bin, walk back, sit down. We would then um, uh, say, "What? Uh, let's check in. So then he, we would say, were you green or yellow? He'd say green, because he was, <laughs> because he's going to contact the reinforcement. And he, we then gave him the click, and uh, then he could access a terminal reinforcer. So these were uh, specific, um, short 15-minute sessions. 
so they weren't over the whole day we didn't roll it out all in one go we wanted to make sure he could label he could tact um all of his behaviors under the appropriate ones under the appropriate videos in both video modeling and then an in vivo trial sort of at the end so of the what session. so now this sort of picture of moving away from one-to-one discrete trial teaching to a certain extent into less in, less intensive mm-hmm. settings of that, that hook you had in the research yeah. or dissertation yeah what made you decide to, to choose an auditory cue the click mm. um it was actually from the um the cuticle paper um but it needs to be something that they could do and it was the click and it's a clicker with their number on so it's the it's a visual and number uh, cue so it's to go along with his previous token board so he previously had um a token board in where he would work for a set number before he could check in um so he would um, look when he we would say you're going to work for 20 tokens or whatever and then we just say okay let's check in and if he was in green he would receive a click so it was so a something to do with his hands on transition so it's a replacement behavior so he was clicking yeah oh cool so it's a replacement behavior so um we need something to do with his hands um it also replaces the function of the clicking for the lights right so it was something to do on transition as a functional replacement behaviour whilst also reinforcing himself. So we would just say, don't put... Yeah, That's don't pretty put smart on. work. <laughs> so you, you were taking this idea of kind of clicking switches that was, you know, plunging rooms into darkness yeah. or I think later we might talk about the significance of the fire alarms. Yeah. Um, but then also like as a transition object, yeah. it was something that he found intrinsically reinforcing because yes. it had a cause and effect. Yes. And that maintained his focus, I guess, between SD and reinforcement. Yes. Okay, amazing. All right. Uh, yeah, so we paired up the... Um, so then we talked a little bit about the clicker that we were using because we needed some way um, for him to check in with his terminal reinforcer. Um, as um, we needed... We still needed a terminal reinforcement. Um, on, on average, he was... Receiving, depending on the level of difficulty of the task, probably on a VI of about 10 minutes. Okay. Um, currently receiving a terminal reinforcer, which was the computer, only for about a minute or two, but every 10 minutes, on average, he would get some kind of terminal reinforcer. So we needed a way of fading this out um, you know, within the time frame that we had fairly quickly. Because you knew what was coming next in yeah. terms of setting. In terms of setting, where um, we, they had, we had been told there would be no computers all day at all. <laughs> so that's a heavy fade. <laughs> that's a very heavy fade. Um, so we needed to, to start um, fading this out. Um, so um, we paired, we had this clicker paired with green behaviours. Um, and we also then we were very conscious of the fact that we still needed him to accurately label yellow in order to self-manage. Right. Uh, because um, the tendency or, you know, um, ABA and what we know about reinforcement will tell us that if he, if we never reinforce yellow, he's not going to tell us that he's in yellow <laughs> because we need him to understand that we're going to reinforce him telling us we're in yellow without reinforcing the behaviours that okay. we see in yellow so the layers continue yes okay. <laughs> which is why self-management is such a complicated category <laughs> to, to work on um so we um what we would do and um, his learning history with us um was he um if that something wasn't quite right um we would um uh, like uh, stop or prompt it or, or show him the prompt and the correct response so he has that learning history he knows if something um is wrong so if if you know he uh, doesn't do his uh, math sum correctly that we would stop him and prompt him the correct response and then get him to try that again independently so we do our typical prompt fading procedures so he understands that perfectly well so if he knows he gets it wrong he knows that there's a prompt coming he knows we'll ask him to do it again more independently to make sure that stimulus control transfer has been completed okay um so knowing that learning history that he has we would be um in a we would ask him okay let's check in were you in green or yellow he would say um 
he would say um, yellow and we'd be like, that's a really good job telling me that you're in yellow. And then he would reach for the clicker and we'd be like, okay, we can't do have the clicker this time because we were in yellow, but that's a really good job telling me. Um, now, should we try and do it in green? And we'd straight away try and do it in green and we'd allow him to do that so that okay. he could access the reinforcer. So there was the reinforcement for telling us, which was only social, which I know isn't as high for him, but he wasn't in his head wrong because he got that reinforcement there and he got the opportunity to try again. And then he could get his clip for being in green. So that's how we tried to, to combat telling us we're in yellow. Um, the interesting about that, though, is it, that to me has elements of trial and error. Yeah. And one of the things I know about less intensive provisions and, and, and learners that are more academic, and certainly to, speaking to mainstream colleagues, is they would prefer kids to be to learn from trial and error in, in much more kind of mm-hmm. colloquial terms. Yeah. Because it then means they can go, oh, no, I got that wrong. How do I do that differently? And you really kind of promote then using and applying the knowledge and, and generalising what they know. So that, that kind of negative feedback in more layman terms is one of those kind of really useful teaching tools. I mean, how you would define that behaviourally rather depends on the learner and their kind of reinforcements, what, what reinforces them and, and, and their MOs are in place at the time. But it's, <clears throat> it's interesting to me as you reflect on this, how the that in of itself was one of those things that was going to ultimately lead to him being able to go somewhere less intensive because he had experience of recognising when something wasn't quite right or where he hadn't quite met the expectation of a teacher or, or something along those lines. He was able to kind of handle the correct the correction yeah. the, 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 where the teaching happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he he that was one of his barriers initially when he started um, is the correction because um, as I've said, it's all about accessing that terminal reinforcer accessing um, what uh, whatever that may be. So when you um, do that correction, then that's a delayed immediate delay to reinforcement. So it was teaching him a lot about tolerating delays to reinforcement. Um, so he initially started off with a very, very low VR um, in terms of tokens, even though obviously academically he's... Um, what we need to teach him is a lot. He's From day one at the school, it's always been about, like, okay, tolerate a correction. That's a delay to reinforcement. Okay, so, um, okay, I'm going to help you. Okay, good, tick. So there's a lot of this. Okay, I'm going to help you and tick. Um, just so that he could understand there is going to be a reinforcement. So the token board for him years ago was the best thing that ever happened to him because he knew that reinforcement was still coming, but he just had to wait. And then to, to I guess to illustrate this more, that the context needs to come back again, I think, mm-hmm. because we're talking about a young man who started in mainstream education, mm-hmm. that placement broke down because people weren't able to help him understand the world around him. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, what happened next? Like you was mentioning it. Um. So he um. So he came to uh, um us as a school. Um. He didn't have a, an effective way to communicate. Um. So he uh, would just run off and get anything and everything. Um. And then um in lessons, if he didn't understand, um, this is when you see um the more um sort of level three behaviours such as uh, tipping the ta- tipping the tables and um, banging items and throwing himself towards... So that the, would have accounted for the breakdown with mainstream yeah. and then did he go straight from mainstream to one-to-one? Yes, okay. uh, because of the local authority he was with. Just the way that happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, so uh, just the way that it happened, so he came straight to us um, and within a, de- within a day of um, sort of... Uh, like withholding, uh, holding reinforcement and expecting, um, like just everlessly prompting the correct man. So just holding up, um, I think it was coins for a piggyback. Uh, and they just, <laughs> coins, and he said coins and then access, and coins and access straight away. By the end of the day, he had coins. The next day he came back, he just walked in and said coins straight away. And before that, he hadn't really vocalised appropriately or requested for anything appropriately okay. so it was just teaching those skills like he was like ready for that yeah so again we've gone 
slightly left field, but that's okay. okay. We'll summarise. So you had um, video modelling. Yes. You had to take into account the guys that were trying to teach him yeah. about self-management mm-hmm. because there was slight kind of procedural drift against, you know, when to intervene, when to yeah. kind of help him get past something. Yeah. You then move from that into giving him control of his reinforcement through yeah. kind of an auditory cue that also happened to replace light switches yeah. uh, and other bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. That all worked well. So what what was the next phase? So the next phase was to sort of build it into um, his daily timetable. And this, the next bit is where it really comes into um, when we talked about um, the dissertation paper that we talked about, how it was going to work in the next session. So um, we needed uh, to put it into a timetable and how we could put all of the reinforcement um, and... Um, all of the behaviour management onto the um, the child itself, rather than being led by the teacher. So, from so the inspiration that you took, did you first say from the from the um, dissertation piece? Mm-hmm. And what, sorry, remind me the other one that really hooked you. It was a Kegel one around extended reductions in stereotypic behaviour, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Was there a point at which you were like, look, that definitely kind of got us on the right track, but now this is all about the learner. Is this the time where it started to happen? Yeah, so now now it was, um, so it was just taking into account those, um, those um, aspects, but now it's about how does it work um, for the, the learner? How are we going to get him to get from A to B now? So now it's like, you've got the skills now. Yeah. So now we're about, this is now, we are in a phase of, can you do this for yourself? Yes, and can we fade out reinforcement? That's like, because this uh, concept that we were just talking about before, the video modelling, this was all taught in a 15-minute session, so he's still accessing reinforcement every... He's accessing terminal reinforcement every 10 minutes. Okay, so the thing that he's working for comes every 10 minutes, apart from this 15-minute kind of lesson that you were teaching on the side so he'd get it even more because of how much we would need him to understand we wanted to really reinforce this so i'm going back to this whole idea of this idea that you had a really kind of specialist intensive model yes and yet your ambition was still to be in a space where he could go to something less intensive yes yeah um because we well, because we needed to. So we also so now it was about setting up um, his day. So we um, uh, previous to uh, putting this behaviour program in, he'd been working on um, like independent work, how to raise his hand, how to complete activities by himself, how to ask for help, how to walk to his um, teacher, how to use the phone to call a teacher. Uh, because of the way that our school works, that's okay. he couldn't necessarily walk there by himself. So he would phone, is my worksheet ready? We would go down, we'd collect it. Okay. Those sorts of things. So he'd learn all of these skills to be able to do it, to do it by himself. Um, and um, we now it was about setting his timetable up by himself. So he was now, um, we now needed to, break this reinforcement and fade it out systematically. So we broke his day um, into five minute slots because bearing in mind he had it every uh, 10 minutes initially. So um, he had a timer that would go off every five minutes. Uh, He would then check in um, whether he was in yellow or green. Mm -hmm. If he was in uh, green, he would get a click. Um, And then that click was the reinforcement for that session. Mm-hmm. So at the end of every uh, 15 minutes, he would check in. If he had all three clicks, he'd get some time on the computer. Okay, yeah, I get it. So that was our, um, our way um, to, do, to do that. And then that was just teaching the concept because he already had what was green and yellow now. He'd already mastered that. So fixed interval now? Yes. Okay. So we're having to move to a fixed interval now um, in order because of the way... Because we're trying to do it by timetable. Got it, yeah. So um, uh, what we're trying to do is also fade the time around to have it run by a school bell or, or whatever it is, okay. next, is, next placement. So we then just had a really dense fading schedule and it had to be three three days um, 
of being able to uh, accurately tax his behaviour, so 100% green or yellow, whatever he was in, and to have um, less than, so it had to be over 90% of, um, of his, day in green, uh, his day in green in order to pay the schedule. Because although, yeah, we want to make sure he's taxing uh, appropriately, but if he's having more yellow of his day than green, I can't fade the schedule out. That's what was telling me if the federal. So, could so be that paid. data was your for you to for make me, decisions. Yeah. For me to make decisions whether we could fade the reinforcement out or not. Hmm. Um, so then he quickly went from five um, to ten to fifteen minutes, yeah. very quickly, and then to half an hour, um, and then he was accessing at break time very quickly so we just access it break time or within so what was that space like half a term probably so uh, about six weeks yeah six six eight weeks he just went to break to lunch to end the day um so now you're thinking well it really has to be a less intensive provision because he can do it. Like, this is the skill he's learned this would be wasted yes okay uh yeah so um he he would spend um, over 90% of his day, mostly in, um, most of his day was in, in green. Um, um, and then we had um, snack, lunch and end of day. Um, initially, we still had the time going off every five minutes. Mm. So up in, so it would go off every five minutes and he'd check in and he, he'd get like however many clicks. But um, now... Uh, we faded. We were starting to fade the time going off, mm-hmm. and this is when we ran into problems. Okay. Uh-oh. So the uh, the SD wasn't there anymore to check in as regularly. So he would start to clock watch. And when is my tick coming? Um. So we, um, he would um then start to bolt to his timer to turn it off, and then it would be yellow. And then the more yellows he had in a row. We started having this, um, you know, it wasn't matching anymore. So we, the yet he knew the more yellow was accrued, the less time he would have. So we're starting to see value attributes to the other behaviours. Yes. Right? So okay. val- so he his you know the values attributing his other behaviours. He's more he's getting more reinforcement from the bolting to turn the lights off than he is by just saying, oh yes, I'm. <laughs> Okay, so what did you do? Uh, So we had to backtrack the the fading then a little bit, but also we had to comment less on yellow because there was a lot of reinforcement around yellow. Yeah. And then change, uh, manipulate his schedule and what we were doing in that time to ensure that he sort of made it back to green. Okay. um, So that he could be successful again. So you... you you introduced the SD again, essentially. Sounds like so yeah. the time, the sound, yeah. uh, the timer came back. Yeah. You had to navigate him back to green by using previous kind of methodology around. Um, I guess oh, that's not quite right, but do it this way, and then he would get his clicks back. Um. So it was more. It was um because before this, obviously, I think I said before there was it was a um. So the more um level three sort of end of his behaviours, if you um, commented on them or talked about them, it tended to reinforce them. Okay. So the more we commented on the yellow, the more behaviours that we of those we would see. So it was more about taxing him behaving appropriately. Right, as and he less, understands it. Yeah, yeah, as he understands it. So it was like when he was walking really nicely, we would just say, oh, that's really good walking. Um, and then if he, hit, if he turned the light off, we would just not comment on it we would just redirect him to whatever he was supposed to be doing which is what his original behavior plan is <laughs> redirect him to whatever it is he's supposed to be doing when the timer went off to check in um we would still say are you in yellow or green he'd say yeah, yellow and we'd be like okay he'd do his own thing we wouldn't comment on it and we'd move on and that seemed to reduce it i think the added commenting were you in yellow um like he would be like yes i was in in yellow um and then we would just be like, oh, we didn't get it this time. It was just all adding to our attention. Not sure what the function was of what we were adding to it. But that definitely reinforced the behaviour in some way. Because the more we commented on it, the more we talked about it, the behaviours went up. The more we just redirected him to his next activity, mm. the, it went down. And then in our, if we'd had three 
which is what the criteria is set for. If you'd have three yellows in a row, we'd adapt his timetable. Okay, so, great. Then what? Um, then it, we got back on track again. We were able to um, fade his timetable um, out um, so that he was only getting... Um, we were only getting reinforcement at lunch and at the end of the day. Right. So that, um, um, that worked really well and we were able to work on that. Um, but... What this told me, towards the end of the term, we'd managed to fade everything out. So we were the ones managing this contingency. And we thought he was self-managing, and he was to an extent, because as soon as he finished his time on the computer, we pull a fire alarm. Okay. So this was um, something we, we couldn't, as we got to the next provision, it was something that we had to pass on to them that when at the end of the day or when the the end of the contingencies, he's completed the contingency in his eyes, there's nothing to maintain that behaviour anymore. So... Um, this is rule governed behaviour yeah. idea. Yeah. So <clears throat> in his mind, and based on the uh, progress of the delivery reinforcement on a thinner schedule, he then was like, okay, my day is done. I, I've been on point the whole time. I've accessed my reinforcer. And now you kind of get this almost spontaneous recovery type scenario where it's like, you know, the biggest behaviour that could possibly have happened. Okay, so without going into too much detail there, like did you, did you manage to shift when the reinforcement became available for him after the, 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 day, the completed timetable? Or how did, you cope, how did you kind of deal with so that So we situation? shifted it to the next morning. Um, so we, he was able to access for, well, like... Well, he would, he would, um, if he walked down, so we had to add in an, an additional, small additional reinforcer, basically. After he went down, completed, uh, like, the walk to the bus and the walk in from the bus without the fire alarm um, being set, he could access um, a minute on the computer. Okay. And we just reviewed it that way. Um, but it was something, obviously, that they will not be able to do is his next setting. Um, but in terms of where he started from having reinforcement every 10 minutes. Yeah, so, and now you're on a fixed interval with the natural breaks in the day yeah. and then carrying that over to the next morning yeah. and carrying it over to the next morning. Yeah. So I guess in the next setting, their, their, their target, if they were continuing on that road, yeah. would be um, end, of the, end of the second day or... Yeah, end of the... Yeah. So um, what was good is that we did do quite a few transition days to his next setting as well um so we um we set up the same um uh we only did it until break because he couldn't access reinforcement uh until lunch because he couldn't access computer reinforcement there so at some point he's going to have to access reinforcement um but he uh this behaviour plan carried over straight away as we took it over and we gave it to the um the teachers that were there and just said, you know, it's minimally minimally invasive, his timer will go off um every thirty minutes it was at this point. Give him a tick. <laughs> Give him a tick if he's engaging well, tell him, you know, is he in green or yellow? Um and then um he can click his clicker if he's if he's done it. So then Yes. In sense of provision yeah. Complex behaviour plan. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a chap that's had some challenges with that, but is now feels supported again by the scaffolding around him and in terms of he understands the contingencies available to him mm-hmm. based on the, the SDs that are in his environment. Yeah. From what you know about how this was taught and the methodology and so forth, like what is it about what was done here that you think could be applied in different settings? I think the, the, the time that it took, you could probably use that as well. I think it's really important that there is a big uh, transition scale, that there are, it's not, it's faded off. It's not suddenly taken, support is taken away. So I think time, it will need to be doing that. And, I, and just talking with the people about what's happening and, and why and that real life fading of a schedule like you were talking about earlier Liz is really important absolutely so okay that's gone to the next setting yeah did they 
this is the bit that fascinates me from a from a more intensive to a less intensive provision. So mm-hmm. one to one, based on underpinned by ABA and VB, yeah. into a less intensive provision that is based on possibly teach as an example yeah. uh, of another type of approach that you might see in a special school. Mm-hmm. So they've gone there. Fewer staff, fewer people to deliver a contingency. Mm-hmm. Did did your technology transfer in its basic form in terms of if this happens, do this into that's just that setting. Um, we we adapted what we set up beforehand. So everything, um, in terms of timetable, he could read both a visual and just a written timetable. So we said to them, he needs a timetable, which is something um both teach and a number of other children that specialize, uh, um, provisions that specialize for people with autism. Um, have timetables they understand that they need timetables directions vision so we just broke it down to that you need to tell him what he's doing and where he's going which sounds pretty solid right that you know that's quite an easy thing to do yes and going back to what michelle was telling us earlier Mm -hmm. she's got this whole idea of in different schools it's going to look different yeah but there's translatable pieces yes so it was a it was it was translate yeah it was translatable into what he would he what he needed to do um that day and what his rules were um so we just followed those and 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 then it was just when the timer goes off let him know whether he's in green or yellow and because of the zones they understood what that meant Mm. so for them they would understand whether he was green calm or whether he was yellow silly so for me, the biggest um, pro of using like multidisciplinary techniques such as zones is that when he went to the next session, I didn't have to explain because I knew yeah, <laughs> that the boy knew what like, green and yellow meant. Not wasted time. It's right? not wasted time. They just had to know, oh, he's he's calm. He's in green. Yeah, okay. He's so from, from, from a behaviour analysis point of view and then going back to this whole idea around applied and socially mm-hmm. significant and the technologies and so forth. Yeah making sure that it's generalizable not only for yeah. the, the people that are you know in receipt of the scaffoldings and focuses on being able to kind of make progress into other places it it was also really important for us to be able to generalize against what we would ordinarily receive um, ordinarily interact with in settings that aren't so specialized yeah. yeah okay all right so we we now i guess have the complete picture to to a degree we've yes. got a young man who came to our more intensive provision because things didn't go so well for him elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You managed to build very quickly reinforcement contingencies mm-hmm. that started on a dense schedule that faded into fixed interval over time with auditory cues that were somewhat self-managed into eventually, bar a little bump in the road, into an, a, a less intensive provision, in which he's still currently at. Yeah. And you know, it's a really good job. I mean, you, you kind of come from that place of taking into account lots of different things and, and, and thinking about it in hindsight. It's one of those things where we, we talked earlier around the seeds of self-management were there when he was giving himself clicks and the really yeah. dense schedule when he was looking at green and yellow on the video modelling. Yeah. And then that's generalised into future, pla- I guess doing that as a plan yeah. enabled you to make decisions based on the contingencies that you contacted as a person that was really in charge of this whole process towards less intensive provision where do you think this sort of thing could go next for this young man i mean you've talked about kind of maybe maintaining his current placement and vocational pathways i mean have you have you spent time with him and his family talking about the kind of aspirations for him in the future for his parents um they obviously he is very academic has a lot of skills um, for him to be placed in a one-to-one intensive provision was quite a step back for them. So for him to be in a um, in a, a less intensive setting near a home, um, without needing all this intensive, like it's it's put them back on track in what they in their view of what they had and their aspirations that they had for their son. He's now back on those. Because um, it was very difficult, I know, with the diagnosis. He was in mainstream initially, and then it had to be a step back again, and then a step back to one to one. It was it was very in a backward position. Whereas now, with the support of the one to one, and then fading back in um, to less intensive, it's definitely 
put them on. So remind me how long he was with Beyond Autism. <sighs> Uh, so he came in the t- in two thousand and fifteen, and he left in two thousand and nineteen. Okay, so in the space of around four years, you, uh, you go yeah. to show you like the power of reinforcement and how when you fade it effectively, somebody can move from one setting to another. Yeah. Well, and actually, your your example is like the embodiment of social significance you know even just going back to like the really basic principles of, mm-hmm. of ABA like social significance means applied yeah. and this is a real example of that so you can say something Michelle yeah I was going to say that from our the, the four years that we was with us we could call it a sort of an intervention that we had because now I think I think now his placement will be successful because of all the work that um, Liz and ABA had allowed him to do and being able to manage his own behaviour and, and have those strategies that he could take back to the to that provision will be will be life changing for him. He will be able to take those on to his yeah. wherever he goes. I think he had a lot of and he in terms of uh he he was quite disfluent in the types of skills that he had. So he had a lot um of academic skills so was presenting more mainstream in some aspects but his um expressive language um you know he his man's tax intervals were non-existent so when he came to us that's what we needed to work on we didn't need to work on this side of things we need to work on his behavior and his social behavior as in what he could engage with in with others and giving him those language skills to be able to access the rest of the academic curriculum he already could amazing so that said, brilliant results, great outcome. From a dis- from from a, I guess discussion point of view, mm-hmm. is there um, anything that you would, I, I maybe do differently or other pieces of research? So we've covered loads, so many things today. We've talked about cusp behaviours, schedules and reinforcement, um, rule government behaviour, the matching law to a certain extent, um, video modelling. You know all, all these. This, this toolkit is available to us that we put through a behavioural lens that makes us be able to measure it, that gives us real impact and data on how things have gone. Is, is there things that you uh, would have drawn on differently, perhaps? Or, you know, from a discussion point of view, it's always the case, like, if this were to have far more, more far-reaching impact for other learners or um, if this is to be adapted as, a, as a, you know, the Lisburns method of failing reinforcement, like, what type of things would you consider in the future? To, uh, to me, it'd be planning for it more in advance okay. um, because um, and having maybe the school as being, or not completely, but as being more of an intervention as that is the plan for that, um, for that um, individual uh, because it was done um, over a period of five months which from the schedule of reinforcement that it was on to where we had to get to was a very short space of time to do it in. Mm. Whereas if, even if maybe he wasn't planning, but maybe even the year before, that could have been more of the focus and getting it back to what is our aim for this individual, what is most socially significant for this individual. Um, and in terms of where his parents wanted him to be, where he was socially, where he was academically, it wasn't to be at our school. Um, and so if we could do it again, if we could have a little bit more time with that, the, so that socially significant point being in mind and not accessing the maths, not accessing the English, which he can do, not accessing, um, you know, as many like ITT tabletop sort of situations which he is good at which is reinforcing for the staff which is reinforcing for him is what is most socially significant for him that may be hard for you and may be hard for the staff and taking it back to that and fading and so, fading it sooner so that sounds like a a, a call for a coming together of multidisciplinary team yeah. sooner yeah and obviously the parents being involved and like this, this yeah. team around the child concept yeah but I, I wonder if that's if, if that's as much to do with that this is where hindsight is being yeah, yeah, exactly. the proverbial. It's like, well, uh, if only we'd known, but you didn't know so. No, so you you have to you have to 
to, but to do. I guess advice to somebody else would be 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 very clear on the far the furthest reaching outcome you can think yeah. of based on yeah. what's in front of you in assessment and so on. And I think as well, um, in terms of it's to me it's about where they're going next because at some point they are gonna leave you at whatever point and how is the goal that you're working on what is the IEP goal that you're working on currently going to get there when you talk about the like behavioural cusps but in terms of like imitation etc with a I've gone from working with a year 7 class this year to working with a, a, a EYFS so going from here to there so what am I teaching them or really we need to be working on independent play skills at 5 because that can lead to time that can lead to being able to occupy themselves for a period of time, which can lead to being able to understand a timetable, which can lead to right. and so on Got and so it. on yeah. and so on. So um it's teaching that then and having that in mind then and and not just let's complete uh, X assessment and work down it what's most applicable for them at that time. And I think this case in particular really brought that to the forefront of my mind again. Mm. Because if it was he's leaving, he's not going to have the provision that he's got now. He's not going to have someone telling him he's walking appropriately down the corridor. Um, but he needs a way to know um, that he can ask to turn the light on and off. Mm. But he can't ever turn the fire alarm. <laughs> yeah. Run and bolt and turn the fire alarm off. Like uh, About teaching those which currently, for the three years that he'd been with us, was only ever thought of being managed by staff. Okay. And then in the six months as he left, this is when we need to manage it. <laughs> Rush, get it done. Yeah. Okay. That was a really interesting discussion about a really, uh, I think, uh, inspiring case study for a young man who went from one setting to another. But just before we go, we've forgotten to do our second key word. So, Michelle, you're on the spot now. Give us your word. Banana. Okay, thanks, everybody. Obviously, we have a, a profound end to our podcast here. <laughs> All right, thanks for that, Liz. Thanks for that, Michelle. It was a really interesting discussion for me, um, and I'm sure hopefully for you guys out there. Uh, an, an example of the, the, the great work and outcomes and, and uh, that Beyond Autism do based on being inspired by research and working in a multidisciplinary team. Um, join us next time for uh, something on a similar theme around um, just enough support and building independence. Mm-hmm.